Uh, good morning and welcome to this episode of the Ask Podcasts. Um, I have with me today a great friend of mine, uh, freelance journalist, Paul Brown. Paul, how are you? I'm very well, thanks. You? Yep, very well, very well thank you. All things good apart from Everton. Mm-hmm, yeah. But then probably most Blues are saying that. And I don't mean that in a flippant way. <laughs> I genuinely um, think, wow. Well, I remember we spoke. I think we spoke last with Roger Armstrong, didn't we? In at the end of August, when yeah. uh, we were probably feeling slightly more uh, optimistic than uh, perhaps we are now. But may- maybe I'm maybe I'm prejudging how you're feeling. Um, I was quite optimistic then. Um, I'm a little less optimistic now after what is it, six defeats in in eight, and the last two have been uh, pretty pretty dreadful. Um, I still see signs of a good team emerging there, but I think there are also problems he still hasn't quite solved, Frank. So we're at a stage of the season where um, it's kind of entering crunch time for him, I think, and he needs to start, he needs to start finding answers to some of the problems that have developed. Otherwise he's, he's going to be in trouble. You, you mean in trouble from uh, Mishiri or in trouble from, from the club? Well, when I say in trouble, I mean, firstly, the, the club being in trouble of slipping into, into serious danger, which yeah. nobody wants. Um, and the knock-on from that is uh, they can't afford to be in serious danger with a stadium being built and investment still to find. So the, the two things go hand in hand, really. Um, I'm sure you'll, you'll have seen a few stories in the, the media recently about... Um, his job being under threat, I understand it's not immediately under threat. But at the same time, I do know there are intermediaries putting feelers out to certain people, certain other managers to see whether they'd be interested in taking the Everton job at some stage. I'm sure the club would say that's not being done in an, in an official capacity, but it certainly has happened. Um, I know that Bielsa, for instance, was someone who was sounded out recently about um, being Everton's manager at some point, which is interesting. So I, I don't think Frank is um, on borrowed time, but I don't think he's got a whole lot of time to turn things around either, really. It's just that stage of the season where clubs naturally look around and, and start to think about how the manager is doing and whether they need to make a change or not, because nobody can afford really to be slipping into danger at this time of year. Yeah, it's a really interesting one, isn't it? Because you know, there's a big discussion to be had as to how much of uh, Everson's problems... Uh, relate to Frank, or how much do the problems just relate to the, you know, the composition of the squad, and actually our inability to probably spend a huge amount of money that we need to spend in order to recruit appropriately. Um, I wonder what what's your views on that. It's a very difficult question to answer. I think there's a lot of things um, you have to take into consideration when you're you're thinking about that. I think for me personally. I followed Frank Lampard all the way through his time at Chelsea. I watched the highs and the lows. I think he left with a lot of people feeling that there were question marks over his managerial ability. And I'm certainly one of those people who um, is not totally sold yet that he's going to go on to be a, a hugely successful manager. I think he's got a lot to prove. But I do think he's learning. I think he's learned a lot of lessons from the Chelsea experience. I think at times he was very naive there. I don't think he's been too naive, really, at Everton. I think to begin with, there were games where he did make some of the same mistakes. He'd be 
making quite attacking substitutions in a game that he didn't necessarily need, need to win really at Chelsea and then blowing what could have been a comfortable point uh, and turning it into a defeat. There, there were things like that that I think he's managed to get out of his system. Um, I think Frank is a good coach. <laughs> Sorry, excuse me. I think Frank is a good coach, a good man manager, although he does sometimes um, pick fights perhaps with the wrong players at a club. I don't see that happening really at Everton. So again, I think he's perhaps learnt from the Chelsea experience there. Um, one thing I would say is he wants to play a very specific and particular style of football. He wants to play quick attacking, um, pass first football through the thirds, getting the ball into the striker um, and dominating teams on the ball. It, it's quite similar for me in, in terms of what Arteta, I think, is doing at Arsenal. Yeah. But to do that, I think you need the right tools. You need a certain calibre of player and you need the time to get um, your team to, to work out and, and understand and know that system. So I think you'll see flashes of it this season, but he hasn't managed yet to find any sort of consistency with that. I think if you look back, for instance, to the Palace game, <clears throat> the goal Everton scored in that game, I think it was Anthony Gordon's finish in the end, but the, the team goal was a, a classic example of exactly what Lampard wants them to do. Very quick passing out from the back, keeping possession, one touch but quick movement of the ball if you can. Um, it all worked to perfection. That goal reminded me of a similar one that Arsenal scored last season, just when Arteta was beginning to turn things around. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in the same way, that was a perfect example of what Arteta wants his team to do, which is why that why I make the comparison. Now, Arsenal obviously are flying, so there's no reason to think that once Everton can't get it right, they can achieve um, similar results with the system. But they're obviously going to be held back by the personnel because... Lampard doesn't have the the players that Arteta does at his service. So I think, personally, basically for me, the jury is out on Lampard as a manager. I think I can see what he's trying to do, and he's going to need time with the new players that were brought in over the summer to make that work. But there are problems and issues that have developed really this season that he needs to to get a grip of and, and fix quite quickly, or he will be in trouble. It's interesting you say that. Um, do you think... <clears throat> Do you think Lampard is uh, perhaps too stubborn, too, uh, what's the word? He's got a direction, as you say, that he wants to go in. Um, and perhaps it's either my way or no way. I don't, I don't know. I mean, you sort of think back to you know, the time when Martinez was, was at, at Everton. Mm. Um, and there was a lot of accusations of him being too stubborn when, when clearly the players couldn't do what he wanted them to do. And yet he was unable to you know, to change his style particularly. It doesn't strike me, and you know you know him because you've followed him for, for many years, it doesn't strike me that he's necessarily a, like a student of the game, Lampard, in the sense that, he, you know, he has like a number of, a number of plays to call upon uh, as and when circumstances or personnel dictate. Is that unfair? I think you'd be surprised. I think he is someone who, who studies football quite closely. Um, 
I can remember, I mean, this is not really about studying football, but it's indicative of the, yeah. the man. I mean, I can remember a couple of times at, at Chelsea when you get into arguments with um, um, some of the more analytical journalists, shall we say, about what they'd written, um, both in, in the paper and, and online. So he, he's someone who reads this stuff and does think about the game. And, and he was he was arguing analytical points with people off camera quite a lot. So it would probably be unfair to, to paint him as anything else. Stubborn, oh, I, I feared he was going to be too stubborn when he first arrived at Everton. And there were times when he was trying to implement this quick passing, attacking style of football um, a bit too much. I can remember them going to Spurs and getting absolutely battered. And I looked at the team sheet and thought, I don't fancy this today at all, before the game. And within 10, 12 minutes, it was absolutely clear that if he didn't change it, they were going to get slaughtered. He didn't change it and they did get slaughtered. But I don't really see that happening anymore. I don't think... I mean, part of part of that part of the reason that's changed is because um, Cody and Tarkovsky have, have massively improved the the back four. But I do think he learned a lesson from that as well, and that he, he's not he's changed his system and his style of play for different games quite a lot this season. He he said recently that he came into the campaign wanting to to play with a four at the back at times and a three at the back at other times and. I think um, maybe the stubbornness last season was partly because he didn't really have a lot of time when he was parachuted in to work on systems and, and different ways of playing. I think maybe his in-game management still needs a bit of work. I don't see that there are tactical tweaks he's made uh, over the last few months that have really changed the game. In, in fact, mm. some of them haven't really worked at all. I, I don't know why he persists with the Iwobi going to wing-back move when they're struggling in a game. Um, but I don't think he is too stubborn and I don't think he's someone you can criticise as not really being a student of the game at the moment either. I, I just think he's a young manager who's still learning um, and he does still have a lot to learn. <clears throat> what about the team around him? Do you think they're having the effect that perhaps we might have thought they were going to? The coaching team, you mean? Yeah. Um, I have my doubts about that, really. Um, it worked slightly differently at, at Chelsea. Obviously, he had different personnel around him. Um, I think Jody Morris was a big uh, a big factor there. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm not really sure how much of an, an input the coaching team around him is having. I'd like to think they're all doing their jobs, but it, it feels like he might need a, a more experienced voice sometimes. Um, in the background, even just as an, as an advisor, perhaps. Um, but that's just my opinion. That's interesting. I always assume that, that's, that that's probably what Paul Connell would do, mm. given that he's got the experience, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know his role too well, I must admit. Yeah. So uh, I think that is part of the reason he is there. But I just think there are times in, in a game when the coaches around you will see something, suggest something, and if it's implemented right, you know, it can change a game for you. That hasn't happened yet at Everton. So 
whether that's a problem long term or not is, is yet to be seen. But I, I can think back to, I mean, even more recently at Chelsea, there have been times when when the manager has said, oh, yeah, my assistant came up with this idea. So we changed it, scored two minutes later. You know, I don't see that happening too much at, at Goodison at the moment. I mean, obviously, he's he's the manager, so he's the most senior member of the coaching uh, team. But it, it, he seems seems to have a very dominant role there, doesn't he? Frank. Yeah. Yes, and I, I suppose that's kind of what he was looking for, really, when he when he came to the club. But he's a big personality, and I think that probably that probably works for him. So I don't think he's someone who who refuses to listen. Um, I just think he could do with a higher quality voice in his ear at times. That, that's all. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think Frank Lampard could be a big success at Everton if he's given time and he continues to to learn on the job. But there are risks involved in the way he wants to play football. Um, <clears throat> if you get it wrong, you can get turned over in, in quite a big way. Um that only really started to happen in, in the last two games for for Everton, and I'm I'm not sure that was a that was to do with them um, being too stubbornly wedded to a system. I think you know in, in one of those games they were they were right in the game, a couple of things swung it, and then there were there was a collapse, and I don't think they reacted strongly enough at all in the the league game that came after it. I think that's more to do with um, player mentality really than than anything to do with Lampard or the system. <coughs> yeah, I, I, I worry about um, the mentality across the club. You know, I, I talk often about my view uh, of what the culture of the club is. Um, and what, of course, one of the interesting things that came out of uh, from Toffee TV last week was <coughs> Lampard talking about... Uh, what the objectives are for the season. And effectively, he said, well, he said, in terms of the league, I want stability, which means staying up, i.e. survival. Um, <clears throat> and it seems incredible that to be this long into Mashiri's journey, nearly seven years, and so much money having been spent, admittedly much of that money spent in the early days, uh, that this is where we're at. Yeah, um Content to survive is is not a very sexy um, outlook on on things, really, or ambition. That's true. Um, And we are quite a long way down the the Mashiri tenure, so you'd be hoping for a lot better. Mashiri was certainly hoping for a lot better. When he first came in, his um, ambition was the Champions League, clearly, um, which is as far away as as it ever has seemed, really, in in his time. But... <clears throat> I think partly this is because of where we are with, with the stadium. I think anyone coming into this season would have realised that um, having flirted with uh, with doom last year, the, the bare minimum needed really this time was survival. And I think Mashiri understands that with a stadium to build, they absolutely must be a Premier League team. Um, I'm pretty sure that would have filtered down to, to Lampard and that you know, the, the first goal for, for Everton this year was to stay in the league, essentially. It may not be what fans want to hear and it may not be very ambitious, but I think that is just a fact of, of where we are, really. And <clears throat> to me, it always seem, seems odd that you would uh, 
set your um, ambitions at, at a minimal level. Uh, now, it may be just practicality and it may just be actually, it, it may be a, in, a, in a positive sense, a form of at last the club recognises where they are as against, you know, mid-table or competing for European football. So on the one hand, it could actually be a positive that the club recognise the position that they're in and, and have set their stall accordingly. Um, I mean, what what do we do in January in order to be able to uh, make, that, make, make this ambition, make this goal uh, more, more realistic or, or the failure less likely? In terms of buying players? Well, in, in, in terms of buying players and in terms of approach, you know, one, one of the bizarre benefits now for Everton of uh, this sort of six-week window uh, of, in, of <laughs> not playing football is that we, we can effectively reset. Yeah, you could argue that the World Cup's come at either a good or bad time, really, for the club on the back of, of two defeats. But it certainly does provide a bit of breathing space and and a reset. Yeah, um, sometimes that can be a dangerous thing for for managers because it allows clubs to to look around and never think about what other direction they want to go in. But as I say, from what I'm told, Everton will, will stick with Lampard for now. Um, I always think that January is a really hard time to to reboot or, or transform a team that is not doing that well. The players that you need don't tend to be available. You don't get the same quality of player available in January that, that is available in, in the summer. So where they go to improve the squad um, is open to debate and, and might be a difficult situation. I think they definitely need um strength in, in wide areas. I think the, the biggest problem is that they're just not creating enough chances for the for whatever forward plays. I've noticed that Mope has, has begun getting quite a lot of stick now from Everton fans. I actually feel a little bit sorry for him. He has been making good runs. His his movement most of the time is pretty decent but the ball is, is not coming and they're definitely not really playing to his strengths. They're, they're a team that is set up to play to Calvert-Lewin's strengths. Um, and I would still like to see in, in some games when the two of them are fit, the pair of them playing together. Um, but I think the main area they'll, they'll be looking in is, is out wide. I think they need a, a winger who can score goals and, and create and those are not easy to find. So... If they can find one, great. They were certainly looking in the summer and it was the last box on the list they they failed to tick. Um, I don't think there'll be a whole lot of money spent in January because they did bring a lot of players in last summer. So whoever they do go for will have to be someone who, who isn't um, doesn't have an extortionate price tag. But it, it really depends depends what the market looks like and, and who who is available. Yeah, Um on, on the money front, certainly, certainly agree with you. I mean, but, but based on those comments, then you have to, and again, it's slightly unfair to pick on one player, but uh, you have to question the, the wisdom of bringing McNeil in, for example, because had he been effective, we wouldn't necessarily then be looking for uh, a new winger. Yes, that's that's true. I'm not entirely sure Lampard has decided how best to use him yet. Um, 
it was strange seeing him in a kind of pseudo wingback role. Um, But I I guess from the manager's point of view, that was, that was worth a try. Um, Like I say, he has tried various different things to to shake it up and, and give his team a a slightly different look. Um, But I've never really seen McNeil as the answer. I I think he's the best someone who's going to produce in in fits and starts and, and may not be someone who, he's ever going to deserve a, a regular starting spot really at the club. I mean, he's still young, he, he can improve. So you'd hope that somewhere down the line that that does come. But I think at this stage, the club, <coughs> the club had um, existing options that were better than him, really. I think both, both Gray and Gordon are better players than him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he does have this ability to sometimes do something out of the ordinary. So it, it did add a different um a different aspect, a different a different option to the squad. Some seem somewhat seems like a luxury to have three wide players who all for different reasons. Um I guess Pod is in the nature of being a wide player. Uh, but all all three for different reasons uh, are quite inconsistent, aren't they? I mean Gordon inconsistent, yeah. still a young player, still learning his trade, uh, but not showing the consistency that we would like. And, you know, two fantastic goals at the beginning of the season. Um, Gray is playing like a £1.8 million player, isn't he? And so, you know, one one good game every, every so often. And <clears throat> here we are with McNeil, who perhaps follows similar, similar characteristics. Yes, Um You'd like to see a bit more competition there, really, I think, and a bit more quality. Gordon, I think his form has totally fallen off a cliff in the last few weeks, which is very disappointing. I think there's a good player in there, but we're not seeing it very often. Gray is just someone who I think will always be quite inconsistent. He he has been throughout his career. Um, There's a player in there who, who can produce little moments of magic, uh, he, he can be a, a really good creator, but he also makes you tear your hair out in frustration at times. Mm. I don't see that changing anytime soon. And I don't think any of those three look remotely prolific, really, when it comes to scoring goals. I don't think they're at the stage in their careers where we're going to see them score 10 to 13 goals a season on a regular basis, really. So that is an area of the squad he needs to address. Yeah, I mean that is the big issue, isn't it? What eleven eleven goals in fifteen games, which sort of suggests you, if if that continues throughout the season, you'd end up scoring sort of twenty eight, twenty nine goals in a mm. season. And there's only ever been one club that scored twenty eight goals and uh, survived in the Premier League, and that was Huddersfield Town in the first season that they were they were in the in the Premier League. So it is. It is concerning that if that area of our game doesn't improve, uh, you know, I often said that I think you, you probably need to score 35 to 40 goals a season, say 40 goals a season, in order to be absolutely sure of staying in the, in the, in the Premier League. And that looks an, another 29 goals in the remaining 23 games looks an awful long way away, unless there's a significant change either in form or in players or in the style of football that we're playing? Yes, indeed. Um, something does need to change. They're still very reliant on Calvert-Lewin, whose fitness has, has 
still being an issue. So that is a, a problem. But I don't. I still don't see the team. I don't see any kind of. Um, usually, when when you see a really well coached team, you see patterns of movement and play in a game that have clearly been worked on on the training ground. I don't really see that yet from Everton, and I think while he at the beginning of the season seemed to have got that balance right in in midfield with the three once once Idrissa Gay came back, um, those three suddenly look a little bit disjointed and are failing to create much going forward. So I think there needs to be a bit of a tinker in that area too. What's, what, what's your opinion, Paul, of Onana? Um, having seen him play a few a few games now, I think he has huge potential. But there have been times when he's just not quite switched on enough to the speed of of the game in in the Premier League. Um, that's kind of normal for someone of his age coming to a, a new country who's not played really at this this pace or this competitive level before. I think. It's a bit of a learning process for for him. Um, I'm I'm surprised at the the physicality though. I think he's a his his tackling stats are, are really good. He gets up and down the pitch, great engine, good energy. I just think it's um, the the problem is is him adapting to the pace of the game really, and and that's going to take a few weeks. I think still yet. Yeah, I mean, to come into a struggling side, and as you say, a side not necessarily um, playing consistently, uh, it's a big ask, isn't it? Isn't it for somebody who, well, at the beginning of the season was only 20 years old, he's 21 now. Um, I always remember Alex Ferguson saying he had to give a player 12 months before you knew whether he was going to make it or not. Mm. Um, and yet here we are, sort of you know, 15 games in. Possibly expecting uh, too much from, from 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 a young lad who, as you say, he's in a, a new country, a new league, um, and surrounded by players perhaps who are not yet bringing the best out in them. No, and, and there isn't. I mean, they have a lot of midfielders, but I wouldn't say there's a whole lot of competition in there. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, in no. terms of um, the quality. So while it might be. Um, a good idea to uh, take him out of the firing line at, at some point, give him a break. You don't see someone of real class who can come in and, and, and make that position his own, really. So that also is a slight worry. I do think there's a good player in there. I think he just needs time. Yeah. What's your, what's, what's your view on, on James Garner? I thought that was a really smart um, signing at the time. But I'm not sure he's ready for um, a run of games starting in, in the Premier League. I think I'd like to see him... Um, this, this sounds slightly mean, I suppose, but I'd like to see some... I'd like to see someone else taking the risk on of playing him for half a season or, or a season. I think if he was to play regular football on loan somewhere so we could see whether he really is... Um, good enough to um, succeed at, at Premier League level, that, that would be ideal for, for Everson. But I, I think, again, he, he added things to the squad that they don't really have. And I think there is a, a really good player there. So I would like to see him playing. I think he should get opportunities, but I don't think he's quite ready to play every week yet. 
Yeah, yeah, that's sort of get the same feeling. There's also also a slight question mark over, over his fitness, isn't there, in terms of um, the back injury that stopped him from going to Australia uh, has been a concern uh, at different times in, in, in what is still a very young career. Yeah, that, that would be a, a concern too. Um, it hasn't really... I mean, he's he's been available for most of the games this season, I believe. So it hasn't hindered him too much in, in that way. Um, it, it's just difficult to see how you could throw him into this team at the moment when they're not playing very well and and ask him to, to start and, and do stuff for you. I think it's more likely we'll see him from the bench over the, the next few weeks. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Just, just going back to, to, um, to Frank for a moment, when, <clears throat> when you, you and I were chatting last week before we put this podcast together, um, and there was some discussion, I think, driven by me as to, uh, again, Lampard's comments about uh, post the Palace game, uh, wanting to recognise the support of... Uh, Bill Kenwright and Denise Barrett-Baxendale, which I, I sort of questioned. Um, but you said something very interesting to me. You you talked about, actually, it was this type of relationship. It was something that um, Frank very much needed. Do you want to expand on that a little bit? Um, yeah, I, I just feel that at Chelsea, we did have people around him um, who were supportive to a degree, but... Chelsea was quite dysfunctional in that for years under Abramovich, the, there was quite a disconnect between the board and the manager. Um, and there was definitely some tension between Lampard and Marina Granovskaya, who was ultimately in charge of transfers. Um, I think they tried to ease that a little bit by bringing Peter Cech into the hierarchy, who's obviously a, a very close friend of Frank's. But the tension still remained there. And I think towards the end of his time, there were there were a lot of things that Lampard wanted to do that the club was saying no to. And I think um, that was beginning to wear him down a little bit. I think he could sense that there was opposition to um, some of his ideas in, in the transfer market and some of the other things he wanted to do at the club as well. And I don't really think even with Czech there, that there was anyone putting their arm around his shoulder um, or giving him that kind of that kind of support on, on a kind of human level, really, over the last few weeks. It can be quite a a lonely and brutal place being the, the manager of Chelsea. So I understood what you were saying, but I do think that those are the kind of qualities that people like Kenwright and, and Denise have at Everton. And I think Frank Lampard both needs and, and appreciates that. Um, it, it may be that that is a relationship that, that works for him. Um, but obviously you need more than that at a club to be successful. So, you know, that, that's not to absolve them from any criticism. I, I just think the interview that he did where he... Um, praises them for their support I think that was totally sincere I think he's someone who who does appreciate that kind of thing and would have wanted to say so off his own back I don't think anyone would have put him up to saying that or um I don't really think he, he's the kind of person who 
would do an interview just because the clubs say, oh, can you go on and, and say this for us, please? So I, I don't think there's any kind of skullduggery there. I just think he he genuinely does appreciate what those two individuals do for him at the club. Whether they do enough in, in other areas to, to help the club be successful is, <coughs> well, he, questionable. He, <laughs> <Certainly>. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I tend to agree with you in terms of, well, I, I absolutely agree with you in terms of his sincerity. I don't think he would have said such uh, if he didn't genuinely feel it. Um, I think you're right that he's uh, mature enough and strong enough to form his own opinions and to give his own opinions, not necessarily just follow the, the club the, the club line. Um, and to be fair, the club, in the form of the, the, the chairman and the CEO, uh, have invested hugely in Frontline Pod himself, haven't they? they they've sort of, the, the, the club through its communications have built up his personality, built up his presence, built up his, uh, his importance to the club. Yes, um, he's one of those kind of characters who is uh, quite charismatic, Frank. He um, likes the cameras, I think. And you have to remember he's not that far from being a player, not that far removed from being a player. So ultimately, he, he is still one of the boys at, at times. I think the the stuff about swigging the champagne up on the way to see the chairman after the, the Palace game and the pictures of him there you know, with, with the fans getting involved in all that is very Frank Lampard. And, you know, in a way we should, we should applaud him for that because it's good that it's good to have that kind of connection with um, the fan base. It's certainly something that previous managers did not have, um, but it has pitfalls too. When you're one of the boys, it's, it's, it can be harder to, to, turn around and, and then try to stamp your authority on a team. But I, I think um, Lampard is someone who's quite good at putting his arm around a player and giving him support in, in the way that he needs it. Uh, I, I don't think he's a particularly hard taskmaster who's going to be in your face shouting, demanding more from you every game or, or in training, though. Um, I think it, at, at Chelsea, a lot of the, the hands-on training ground stuff was done by other people. Mm. Um, and I don't think, you know, when when a team is struggling, he's going to be in there throwing teacups around and, and constantly in people's faces. So, you know, it, it depends what the group is like. Some groups respond to one type of manager and some respond to another. And, and there are sometimes players within the group who appreciate one style of management more than another. But I think we, we shouldn't underestimate the... Um, the impact that Cody and Tarkovsky have had on the group as a whole in, in the dressing room. I think that that's been the biggest thing really for Everton this season that several people have, have said and, and told me as well, actually, that they basically transformed the the spirit and the ethos there in, inside the club. So, you know, there, there are, it, it, it's hard, it's hard to judge these things sometimes, but Lampard is the kind of manager who can get the best out of some players. It just depends what approach works with each one. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll see. <laughs> mm. um, any any, any, any new news? Sorry. They've, they've, 
if you look at the next few games, they've got. Um, I mean, obviously, the next one, Wolves at home, is 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 massive, and then a few people would expect them to get anything at, at Manchester City, but the two home games after that as well, Brighton and, and Southampton. I think yeah. if if Everton haven't managed to win at least two of those three home games, we're um, we're, we're in for a, a bit of a torrid time, I think, over the next few weeks. But if they do, then it could be a complete turnaround for this season. I hope you're right. Mm. Um, okay, before we finish, any, any anything new on on Mashiri? You, you and I have spoken uh, privately about what we might think might be happening. Uh, doesn't seem to be any fresh news in terms of investment or uh, potential new owners. I think it's clear that um, he's still open to either selling the club or bringing in new investment. Um, it's hard to see how he can sell Everton having pumped so much money in uh, because he'd, he'd be realistically looking at a, a massive loss to sell at the kind of figures that the club is, is currently valued at, really, I think. So I think Mashiri will be here for a little while yet, maybe not entirely through choice. I'm, I'm hearing from people who know Mashiri quite well that he's almost been in hiding for the, the last few weeks. It's um, kind of interesting that he's missed quite a lot of regular gatherings that he was supposed to attend, um, including business meetings in, in Monaco, I'm told. Um, I was also told that he, he applied recently for a, a US visa and, and was turned down. Um, I think the fact that he is trying to raise investment in, in the club is is a good thing, but it does make you wonder when you take the the wider um, circumstances in, into account whether Everton is still high on on his agenda or not. He, he's certainly not been seen at, at matches very often. He's he's hardly been in the country at all. Um, there is one school of thought that says, "Look, the guy has finally learned from previous mistakes. He's trying not to meddle too much, and he's leaving it to." Lampard and his new sporting director to sort things out and, and run the club. That is possible. It's also possible that he just doesn't have that much interest in Everton at the moment. I hope that is not the case, but that is also a, a possible school of thought. Um, it, it's hard to see where Mashiri goes next, really. Uh, I, I remember being told when he first came into the club that he would see this as a project to take the team on, get them in the Champions League, build a new stadium, and then possibly the end game for him was to then sell the club, and that he might even that he was even supposedly thinking about um, taking on a, another similar project somewhere else in Europe at the time. Now, obviously, things have completely changed since then. We've had the war in in, in Ukraine. Um, and obviously the, the the ties to all these Russian companies um, becoming completely toxic. So it, it's, it's hard really without him popping up in, in public to know how invested he still is in the club, mm. how interested he is and how um, hands-on he, he wants to be. But he certainly has taken a more distant role this season, which, which I think is interesting. It's either through design or it's because he's 
losing interest in them. And I'd like to think it's it's the former rather than the latter. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's, it's clear that he's got a much lower profile generally, just, just, not, with, just not with Everton. Uh, clearly trying to distance himself from, uh, from previous USN and yeah. Usmanov connections uh, for, ver for very obvious reasons, given uh, the potential contagion if the sanctions regime continues. Um, I know, uh, and, and you know also that Usmanov and his people are lobbying very strongly, uh, at least to lift sanctions across Europe, mm. um, if not the uh, UK and the US. And in fact, the UK and the US seem to be going in the opposite direction and, and widening the sanctions regime against uh, sort of possibly secondary figures in the grand scheme of things, which one might wonder, you might wonder whether at some point, whether how close to that list Mashiri gets. Um, so I think there's a, there's definitely a situation whereby he isn't wanting to make himself uh, in any way public. Um, but of course that doesn't necessarily help, help the club and it still seems to me that if he, if he is learning lessons in terms of day-to-day -day involvement in the club, certainly not as involved on the footballing side, probably still involved on the financing and the stadium side. Um, the one lesson he's yet to learn is is about sort of consistent and clear communication uh, mm. with uh, shareholders and stakeholders in terms of being, you know, the, the commercial partners of the club. <clears throat> And most importantly, uh, the fans. And I still think that, you know, that is one of his big weaknesses. Um, and it, it needs, from my perspective at least, it needs to be addressed. Um, now, people will say, well, why should he? You know, other owners of other businesses, other owners of other football clubs uh, don't communicate on a regular basis. Well, uh, be that as it may, um, I think given the circumstances Everton find themselves in and, and the uncertainties, you know, not only around our footballing uh, status, but the uncertainties around our funding for, for, for the stadium, uh, it requires a little bit more attention and, and a little bit uh, of reassurance in the same way that uh, you know, Lampard has been looking for reassurance in his role at Everton. Uh, I don't think it's unreasonable for the fans to ask the same. It's certainly not unreasonable. I think he did come out and, and make a, a statement a few months ago. Um, you could argue he didn't answer a lot of the questions that, that people had. Um, I don't think he is suddenly going to change his ways and become more of a public face, show up around the club, improve his communication with, with the fans directly. Sadly, I, don't, I can't see that happening. Um, it would be nice and it's, it's not unreasonable for fans to ask for that. But I think in the same way that he's not been seen around very much lately and he's content to let ver various areas of the club be run on a day-to-day -day basis by others, the um, stadium issue and the, the financing, I think, is, is one of those areas. He's just He seems to have handed that to other people at the club and said, you deal with it. Um, I can't see that changing anytime soon. Really, yeah. but one thing that um, I would say is positive, though, for anyone who might be fearing that he's just suddenly going to up and, and leave and, and leave the club in in the lurch. I, I think if you look at what's happening with 
um, everything else around him. He, he's not, unlike Usmanov, for instance, who, who had been selling properties left, right and centre all, all over Europe, especially the ones in, in England. Mashiri still has houses in, um, I believe, in, in Marble Arch and, and Brighton and properties elsewhere, and he's not currently trying to get rid of them. He's not in a position where he's divesting assets or trying to... Um, no, he's not liquidating, is he? No, unlike a lot of the, the Russian oligarchs who he's been involved with before. So he doesn't look like a man who is trying to get out of the UK anytime soon, mm. shall we say, uh, or, or out of his UK investments. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that if somebody came along and, and offered him a load of money to invest into the club, um, to be a minority shareholder, he'd, he'd bite their hand off. Yeah. <laughs> well, although why, why you'd want to be a minority um, holder is, is, a, is an interesting question. I, I mean, one of the things that sort of gives me some reassurance is if the reports that he sold uh, all of his USM holdings, not just the, the, the half that uh, initially people talked about in January of, of this year, uh, his his liquid position actually should be should be pretty decent because you know he had eight percent and it was thought he went down to four and now it's thought that he's actually sold that four as well. This is before um, the uh, illegal invasion of Ukraine. It, that being the case, that you know that that holding is probably worth around about eight hundred million sterling or was worth about eight hundred million sterling. Um, and if he has sold that. Well, clearly, then his, his liquid position, or liquidity position, is much stronger than people might think. Mm. Um, probably didn't intend having to spend most of that on Everton, but at least if he has got that fu- that funding, uh, it perhaps reduces the pressure to find funding from elsewhere. Um, Paul, as ever, really interesting conversation. I don't know if you want to uh, add anything to what you already said. Well, the only other thing on 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 Mashiri that I would say I, I can't say too much, but I'm I was told by by a very good source that one of the last times he was in the country, um, he showed up at Fulham at Fulham's training ground for a very interesting business meeting with um, an an interesting character who who uh is is very well known in, in football circles but i i won't i won't name on don't divulge it yeah that um that certainly raised eyebrows for me so i think that there there could certainly be some some things happening at, at the club over over the next few months but i would like to see mashiri a lot more engaged personally than, than he is at the moment interesting so it wasn't shade can't <laughs> <laughs> I won't say anymore. <laughs> no, no, don't say anything more. Don't say anything more. Paul, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Um, it's difficult difficult to find positives sometimes when uh, you find you're the club that you love in, in, in the position that it's in. But um, I think we just try to be realistic in this uh, in, in this conversation. And you know, as with every other Evertonian, we just hope uh, that things improve quicker than perhaps they look, look as if they are currently. Absolutely. A lot more Palace and a lot less Bournemouth, please. <laughs> I think that should be the title of the podcast. <laughs> you should be well. You always you always have been a headline writer, Paul. So that's there's there's the headline. Paul, thanks very much. Um, look forward to speaking to you soon, and uh, thanks for everybody for listening.
Thanks.